0: Boy, uh, Let's go. Let's go. Right, boys Welcome to Red Eye, a conversation series where V and I sit down and have the type of conversations you would have on a red eye flight late at night when the world is asleep. All sorts of thoughts can pop into your mind, and we keep things thoughtful and entertaining as we discuss these ideas. Today we got some recent events to cover. Obviously, you guys know what's going on in the world. We we got to start with our kind of weekly dose of current events. Um, Let's—I mean, we we have had V and I have had you know a lot of conversations in the last week about everything going on with Kanye and the way that the world is reacting to it. And I, I think that's as good of a place as any to start. Um, v, the thing that that I really wanted to, you know, start with was, um, you know, framing this idea with um, with a Kanye or with, with a Kyrie or with, you know, anybody out here that is really just getting drilled, um, you know, for the things that they're saying, for getting caught up in current events, for these sorts of triggers, you know, my observation during this time, and, and speaking to the Jewish friends that I have, is it's been that it's not a lot of Jewish voices creating controversy here. It's a lot of non-Jewish voices leveraging this as a moment for cultural outrage. And when I have spoken to my Jewish friends, when I have spoken to, um, you know, folks that I know in the community, and, you know, this is a community I'm I'm pretty heavily involved in. Personally, just for for a number of years, um, it's just been empathy. It's been love. It's been understanding that people are going through challenging times, and I've never never really seen anybody, you know, with a with a desire to attack. And uh, it's you know, the Jewish community is one I respect really highly because of how evolved they are and in, in how they handle conflict due to the you know the history of their culture really being persecuted for multiple thousands of years. And you know what what surprises me now is you bring this whole like anti-Semitism concept is brought up on the national scale as part of our conversation, and yet it feels like a conversation that, that doesn't really seem like it's driving toward any sort of, you know, resolution. It doesn't really seem like there's any growth involved in the conversation. It just feels like a conversation of outrage that doesn't necessarily have a point and at the same time has actual true physical danger to society.
1: Well, um, uh, I would d- disagree slightly there in terms of I do, don't do think that you need to come out and outrage about something when you've built a system of um, in which entities respond and you have the power in which the world responds for you. Um, this isn't about them sp- sparking outrage, and this is something that I want to talk about is the effect how to be an effective minority, not just in America but in, in the world ecosystem, the, the less you complain about things and the more you set up structures in which there are consequences for certain actions because I think everyone would agree it's any degree of this type of, this type of commentary about anyone's race, anybody's religion is unacceptable. And the problem that I think you see in America is there's a lot of minorities whose frustrations stem from the fact that when things happen to them, it's not responded to the same way as when things happen to Jewish people. And again, because of that, there sometimes becomes a degree of and the anti-Semitism comes from almost like this this place of like, it's not fair that you guys, you guys get to... Um, People pay consequences for coming at you guys, but they don't pay the same consequences for coming at us. Um, and I think that's specifically an American thing. But I think what's important to understand about the Jewish community in America is that in American culture, their strength came from their initial persecution and understanding what it was to be Jewish in America. I think there's only there's under there's only about two million to three million Jewish Americans um, in in America. Uh, and that's, that's data from like about 2012. So I'm sure that number is, is higher now. But what Jewish people have done is understand that they are a community, that their numbers, their limited numbers gives them the opportunity to, as, and status as a minority gives them the opportunity to create a tight knit community. And something I think even like, even like what they call Indian Americans, the model minorities, I would separate them from, from, from us as well in the sense that, they are a community that really truly looks out for each other and wants to see themselves win and it's not about rubbing it in anyone else's face it's about self protectionism in the sense of understanding getting to the top of these kind of ecosystems economically is what allows you to wield a big stick without coming without having to complain about things without having to express your outrage the consequences are there because you will get shut down because of the fact that they are, they're there they do control a lot of these entertainment and media power structures and they understood the value of that, done it. And I think it's something that should be looked at with respect, not disdain. But I think that the reason that that there's so much like Jew minority, Jew other minority conflict is because that's what media wants there to be. Because if you look at the Jewish community, um they they're willing to be helpful to other communities as well so long as they're respected you know one of the things that's that's people don't know is how close lebron james is with a jewish family in columbus ohio the schottenstein family and how much influence they've had in kim creating the ecosystem where it is his own people that are in control that are giving the opportunities if you look at the lebron james playbook it follows This a very similar playbook to what Jewish Americans have done, and I think it's important for all minorities to study and analyze this and look at them as as the model minority of how to operate and succeed um, in a society that doesn't necessarily want you to succeed.
0: Hundred percent. I think I think it's you know something I really want to uh, pull the thread on is um, mentioning that this was this was something that the media definitely wants to create animosity between minorities different minorities and and the Jewish minority and it's an interesting one because the Jewish minority is perceived as white if you go to Israel they look like like me like if i go over there i get i get spoken to as if i'm israeli people will speak to me in hebrew but in america you you look at judaism as a very different type of thing than you do you know the way people isolate racial minorities or cultural minorities typically and i think that there there's this element of power that's you know involved here that you know we've spoken about you see it with kanye obviously with like the number of brands that have just completely flipped with him but i think there's an element of power and there's an element of you know agenda in the sense that when you don't allow you know who is perceived as a white person in america to connect with these other these other minorities who are not perceived as white, it continues to further this kind of power split and power divide. And I think we're we're living through a moment in time where I think it's very important as a minority to love everyone else. Right now, I think the best example you can set is is you know, and I think the Jewish Jewish culture does a really great job of this. But it's being inclusive, being accepting. And to your point about you know the Shot and family in Ohio and how, how they welcomed in LeBron and and his entire team, and and you know, gave him perspective. Like, uh, I know yourself and myself both have very, very close Jewish friends who have brought us into their families, brought us into their lives, and, and you know, done a lot for us professionally. And so, I think that it's it's an interesting thing when people who, you know, I associate with primarily good are the center of a conflict in which they're not necessarily engaging. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah. Like, I think more than anything, this comes down to the fact that they've effectively been able, you know, been able to um, force people to take accountability for the, the actions or atrocities committed against them. One of the big things, issues that um, Black Americans have with, with Jewish people is that the U.S. government has paid some reparations for the Holocaust, but refuses to pay reparations for slavery. So some of this animosity comes from a real place that it's not necessarily their fault for fighting for what's right for them, but it's there is a a disparity in 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 the way that they've been treated, Um, and also this is this this is an understanding of what moves this society, right? You know, having a a power structure in the legal community that can that can fight for your rights um, creates a level of value in these scenarios where. That probably is the reason, not not necessarily because they're any less persecuted, but because they figured out the systems and understood how to operate within them to get what they ultimately desired and, and deserve, right?
0: Yeah. You know, and I think I want to extend this um, a little bit more because you now have this phrase of anti-Semitism. It's just the new hot insult. It's the new way to get you to not listen to what certain people are saying. And I think what Kanye has said is, by definition, anti-Semitic. And it's important to understand what is real anti-Semitism versus what is people calling you anti-Semitic just because you're talking about things that are related to Judaism and the Jewish people.
1: Well, there's a real conversation to be had um, about America and its treatment of different minorities. That's just, there's there's no working around that. That aspect of it, like you said, the reason that they keep pushing the Jewish narrative is because they know the type of rage and and, and, and division it creates amongst minorities. You know, like the the it's a, it's historic, is that you do not want minorities, the different minority groups in this country, seeing that they're all on the same side of the same coin. Um, and so, as a result of that, it's like, oh, you guys, let's put this small minority population out there and pit them against the other minorities so that they're upset at each other. And that's the trap that I think Kanye fell into um, as well um, in this scenario, you know, and I, I'm not going to take a place or position on the conflict that's happening in Isra- Israel. There are always two sides to every story. Um, and I think it's important that whatever your side is that you communicate it and you, 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 Take that position and are able to have honest conversations with educated people who don't necessarily agree with you or see things from a different perspective or see different angles. I think that's very important too in terms of not shutting down conversations um, because there's a line in the sand. And I think that is the reason why there hasn't been, you know, not going into detail by why this conflict in Israel continues is because I don't think anyone is trying to. To to see the other side's perspective and come to a consensus so that this violence and all of this stops um and people are able to live happily.
0: Yeah. The reality, you know, and this is the solution to all conflict. We should all love each other. We should all respect each other. Everyone should be allowed everywhere. And that should be it. You know? Mm-hmm. It, anything about, well, this person did this in the past, this happened in the past, you've totally lost the point the second you start trying to make an intellectual argument. Because the reality is that. The only thing that we can do is love people from this moment onwards. If we don't choose to love people from this moment onwards and we focus on the past, we focus on all sorts of different things, we're going to stay suspended in this conflict and that's the same thing that it's like we're repeating this loop over and over in society. It's like freaking Groundhog Day and it's like annoying as hell sometimes for me because you watch the same stupid conflicts get brought up and it's like the cycle of information that We just go through and we come all the way back around and start the same cycle again. At the end of the day, it's just like, guys, like, you're so, like, people won't even listen when I, when I, you know, want to speak on a message of love because they are so upset about, oh, this person did this, this person did that. That's not fair. This isn't fair. Well, guess what? Life's not fair, nor is it meant to be. The only thing it's meant to be is emotionally valuable. You know what Mm -hmm. I'm saying? Like, that's the reality of it. You should grow and learn from the things that you perceive to be unfair. That's the process of aging and growing and getting better. But you shouldn't blame people. You should just love everybody and respect that they're going through their own journey as well with things that in their own life are equally unfair and challenging to what you're going
1: through. Your perspective is very valuable, but I think the problem is that you know we, we also know what human history has done and what how genetics works and how generation generational things happen unfortunately mankind for for throughout its human history has not understood that message and has always been in conflict has always created conflict that was unnecessary has always created scenarios um that have left a lot of led, led to a lot of both human atrocity as well as destroying our planet and so that's that's a very valuable point that you're making but it's the challenge is how do you how do you how do you actually get people to see that message? And that's a challenge that I think is hard to have when everything continues to be divisive, because quite frankly, the fact that we're worried about what Kanye West has to say about these subjects and we're not worried about what what the UN and what, what people who are political scientists have to say about this and the conversations that are being had amongst people who are educated on the history of these conflicts, who are educated and who are able to take a nuanced and unbiased approach to this. Nobody wants to see, learn objectivity. Everybody wants to pick a side. And that's just something about human beings that I think I'll never understand is this necessity to always have a side and not necessarily be objective. It's not cool to be in the middle. It's not cool to see both sides of the picture. And it's also oftentimes not effective.
0: Yeah, I think that's the exact point, is that objective truth only brings you together. If something is true for all, it means we are all connected and united by that truth, right? That's what being an objective truth is, is that it's true for everybody. The reality is that, to your point, as long as people want to assign blame, pick a side and separate intellectually that we're different in one way or another, whether it's gender, whether it's race, whether it's religion, whether it's how you look. The second separation enters the mix we're losing as a society.
1: Yep, and have the tough conversations with your friends. If there's something that you have a concern about with your your Jewish friend or your, you know, Muslim friend or your gay friend or whatever it is that, you know, conversations that you should have these conversations, these uncomfortable conversations with your friends. That's the only way you can grow and they're not really your friends if you can't have educated uh, conversations about controversial topics to help yourself
0: grow 100% 100% you know um moving um uh, moving forward into some sports news um we saw that Steve Nash just stepped down as the head coach of the Nets you know we saw some of this pressure in the off season and last season with the Nets kind of being a little bit of a dumpster fire and now the media is reporting that Ime Odoka may actually be the top coach in consideration, having been, you know, dishonorably put on suspension by the Celtics. Uh, the Celtics are cool with the Nets talking to Ime and seeing if he'll coach them. And you know, this is, um, I think, there's there's a few layers to this. I'm gonna let you go first, V, because it's it's a very very juicy subject. Um, but what was your reaction when you saw this headline?
1: Well, there are good organizations and there are bad organizations. Just like in corporate America, you know, there's a reason that success happens. And it's clear that the Nets don't understand and have never understood what it, what it takes to be successful. It seems like they always take these shortcuts um, versus just building something organically. You saw it with the Paul Pierce, Kevin Garnett trade, how that set them back. Then with the Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving situation. It just and then actually hiring Steve Nash, hoping that he could he could do what Steve Kerr did, but it was a completely different scenario. Although Steve Nash had played basketball, he hadn't been an assistant, he hadn't been a GM, he hadn't worked in a front office, and you're asking him to come in um, and coach these guys. And quite frankly, Steve Nash, if you watched him play basketball, never really was much of a defensive uh, defensive player. In his, in his time, and that's reflected in looking out for the Nets are defensively. So it's just a, a series of comical errors. And now instead of actually thinking through things, they're trying to do a patchwork fix again, firing Steve Nash midseason. I understand you have these two big contracts. You're on a timeline, but it just seems, again, like a rushed decision, not taking into account all the collateral damage that could come with this decision all the baggage all the questions to a team that's already full of baggage add a guy who's full of controversy and putting him in front of in front of the media in New York to answer all these questions all season long it seems like this is very mas masochistic behavior from the nets again
0: yeah and you know if i'm anyone who works at the nets my wife is never coming to anything <laughs> <laughs> you gotta be on guard man but that's that's a it's a bold thing you know it's it's honestly um exactly what you said it's a move of a bad organization an organization that's impatient and lazy about going through the process the right way and i think we're seeing that with the lakers as well you know they don't get a pass this week um same kind of dumpster fire happening in la and it just goes it just goes to show that this this method of trying to just buy a team, buy a championship, buy success, money does not buy the things that you have to go through as a person to get to that place. And to get back to that mountaintop, you have to consistently be going through shit. A lot of people with a lot of money don't want to do that. They'd rather pay someone else to do it or try to pay for it again. And the reality is that, you know, championships are earned, they're not purchased.
1: Hundred percent, hundred percent. It's a it's a fascinating scenario. Um, and Nets aren't don't clearly don't care about winning any PR battles. Um, and who knows? Maybe it was we'll have the story soon that it was Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, um, going to the office and saying, "Hire him, yeah, making it happen or threatening to, to sit out or whatever it is." Um, but it's just comical in the, the Ben Simmons trade last year. It's like. Figure out a way to make James Harden happy uh, before you trade him for a player that clearly is not very good um, right now. When you're trying to win a championship, I think they had better odds of trying, like trying to make things work there instead of just breaking it down. And and even the type of trade, make a better trade, you know, than the the one that they made.
0: Yeah, yeah, I think that's that's totally true. I think we will see Ben Simmons become a a super impactful player. I think it'll take a little bit, but you know I'm happy to see him playing basketball again. It's just yeah, it's nice to see people back at it. It just
1: yeah, it just it's just from an organizational standpoint. That's all I was playing out. Hope, hope
0: yeah, not a great. Gets move. through the
1: yet. Hopefully, he gets through the yips. But if you're trying to win now, you don't take on a guy that's going through some struggles. It's going to take some time to get back to where he was at when you're in win now.
0: Yeah, hundred percent. Um, one more thing I wanted to mention, V, we didn't we didn't really get to prep on this, but um, I just heard about it. I thought it was really cool. Elon Musk, uh, now having taken over Twitter, has a new plan for how they're doing verified checkmarks. So instead of just doing verified checkmarks to people with followings or people who are writers or in the music industry, you get a verified checkmark if you pay the monthly fee. So basically, anybody who's like a serious Twitter user who wants to pay to have like a verified account, The verified check mark would only indicate not this person is relevant, but this person is who they say they are. So it'd be an identity verification rather than like a status symbol. And, you know, from my lens, that's way fucking better for a social media platform than this bullshit fake fame that we've created with blue checks.
1: Oh, it's an interesting, interesting play. I mean, you've seen this playbook with Tesla um, they're always burning cash, and they've got to figure out a way to supplement um, that burn. And I think it is a creative patchwork option again that Elon has created because he knows there are a lot of people who will pay this monthly fee to be verified Very and have <laughs> basically have what we're talking about this fake fame. That is why they're going to be doing it. So although it seems like it could be altruistic, it just seems like a typical Elon Musk play, um, which is. You know, figure out a way to drive some revenue um, while we're trying to figure things out um, on the back end. Again, you know, every person has the right to to do what they need to do. Um, but I do, if if as the CEO of Tesla, as a shareholder in the company, um, for him to now take on the CEO role of not just SpaceX, Twitter, and Tesla, it's going to be interesting to see how this plays out. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna. You know. Spray it, you know, shower it with negativity, but it does concern me um, for all three companies. How is this guy going to juggle all three of these roles, especially stepping in as the CEO of Twitter, not just being the largest shareholder, but also stepping in? And it's like I, I see some of the same tendencies with Elon in a it's much less abrasive way, I would say, than Kanye. But they seem to be very per- similar personality types um, in terms of how. Um, they come in and operate. I think most of Twitter's executive staff has left as a result of him being hired. They don't mind ruffling feathers, they don't mind creating controversy um, and we'll see how all of this plays out on the Twitter, Tesla, and SpaceX,
0: yeah, and you know to your point, like the reality of things is if you want to leave a fingerprint on the way the world works, the way Elon's done it is way better than the way Kanye is trying to do it.
1: Oh, hundred percent. That's what I was saying. He's a little bit different in this sense in that Kanye part of the reason if you're gonna make the statements that Kanye is making, make sure you control your own economy. Like you can't be indebted and let, you know, let you know, Jewish Americans help you and then take shots at them. You can't build your business and your musical legacy on the back of black people and then take shots at them. You know what I mean? Like and then also understanding that you don't, you always were an employee of, of Adidas. You were always an employee of the record labels. What Elon is doing is saying, "Hey, I'm putting my money where my mouth is. I'm going to control my narrative. And if I fail, no one's going to lose bigger than I'm going to lose." That is the dis- yeah. difference between the two of them, and why one I think is a little bit more respectable than the other because he's he's doing the work you can they both do the work that's one thing i will say is that they both do the work but there's one way of playing the game which is i'm taking ownership full ownership i'm not just letting someone else take the risk i'm taking the risk um and i'm going to own that risk and i'm going to do things my way and if i fail i'm going to implode and i'm going to lose a big portion of my net worth
0: yep 100 percent. it's fun it's funny too with with elon specifically on twitter like how much that stirs up people's emotions as well, because he seems to be a pretty polarizing figure. But his his immediate first statement, I thought, was incredible. It was very much about the line of free speech and where hate speech starts and where you know actual consequences are with speaking unchecked and how he wants it to be a place of discussion with occasionally rancorous debate. And I think that was the exact phrase he used there. Um, I mean that. It's an it's a easy to align with you know mission statement there.
1: We've got to determine as a country what we believe what free speech is and what free speech isn't. I'm, I'm against the idea of canceling anyone. I feel like society will cancel people on their own. Let them say make the statements that they feel versus masking them and hiding them. Let people outwardly express who they are. If you don't disagree with, if you disagree with them, You don't need to tune into them. That's the thing about these social media platforms that I don't understand is people's necessity to go and tap into voices that they know are going to anger them and upset them. Just don't listen to them. I don't go on Twitter that much because that's what I'm fed. You know what I mean? Whether or not I can ignore I can't ignore it. I just always feel like when I go through my Twitter timeline, I see someone raging about something versus a real discussion about yeah. any topic so it'll be interesting to see if that can be fixed if at all or if this is what twitter is and if that is the reason why it's as popular and and powerful as it is is because it does encourage hatred for each other you know what yeah. i mean
0: the reality to your point is if he cleans up the platform and, and makes it a more loving place it may be a much smaller company yep so we'll we'll find all this out. I, I think we're at a fascinating juncture in society. I I love seeing the the national and international conversation evolve. And, you know, I think overall, like I was watching this video, it was a it was um this monk, this this monk, and someone asked him about Kanye and all this stuff. And he said the simplest thing, which you know, I just want to share for the listeners if you don't have something nice to say, don't say anything. <laughs> That's it you live life like that you'll never be canceled you'll never have problems no one will ever be mad at you if you don't have something nice to say you just don't need to say it 100%
1: 100%.
0: Well, on that note uh, that brings us to the end of this uh, red eye segment V man as always it's been a blast chatting about life with you and hopefully our audience has gotten something from it Um, as always remember to be you you as
1: fly Uh, boys out. (tries) Thank <tries>